0: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard.
1: Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting to over 60 countries from the middle of the third most important center in the world for entrepreneurs, startups, angels, VCs, and incubators, the flourishing center of Silicon Beach in Los Angeles, California. It is booming here. It's um, A few years ago, there was very little, and now it's wall-to-wall entrepreneurs and, and um, incubators from Santa Monica right through past Venice Beach. It is fantastic. And uh, this is where technology and entertainment intersect and they're becoming more and more um, intertwined daily. And I want to thank you for making us a number one business show in the world for entrepreneurs. I really appreciate it. Hulu's throwing another hat in the ring and the is vying to win the online TV streaming contest. You know, it's a pain in the ass when you've got... um, You've got to buy these blocks of programming from from your cable company. And, uh, you know, most of them you don't watch. You know, I I don't speak Spanish and I've got a whole pile of Spanish stations that I don't want that I'm paying for. And that's going to change, but it seems to be taking longer than everyone hoped. But Hulu is developing a service that will stream popular feeds of broadcast and cable TV channels. The new service cost about 40 bucks a month, would make the streaming service a competitor to traditional TV providers, and uh, that would be a great thing. Now, this week, Time profiled the 50 most influential gadgets of all time, and I'm going to skip through them quickly. There's 50 of them, so we're not going to do all of them, obviously, but it's really interesting, and I'll bet, you know, many of our... Younger tech listeners will probably never have heard of some of these, but listen up and see if you agree with many on this list. Now, think of something that you can't do without. The smartphone that you check every 10 seconds, the camera that goes with you everywhere, the TV that serves as a portal for binge watching and gaming. Now, each each of these things owes its influence to one model that changed the course of technology for good. And it's those devices that have been recognized. Some of these, like Sony's Walkman, were the first of their kind. Others, such as the iPod, propelled an existing idea into the mainstream. Some were unsuccessful commercially, but nevertheless very influential. Now, number fifty on the list of the top fifty gadgets of all time is Google Glass. Now it didn't work. It cost fifteen hundred bucks. For those that were particularly, specifically invited to a sort of public beta test, but it never took off. But what it did, the relatively powerful head-mounted computer provided important signals for the future of wearables. Now, glass was shelved in 2015, but augmented reality displaying computer-generated images over the real world. That's a concept that many companies are now trying to protect. Perfect. Google included. Number 49 is the MakerBot Replicator. Now, this is the 3D printer that made the technology widely accessible for the first time thanks to its sub-$2,000 price tag, and it helped bring 3D printing into the mainstream, and it's a fixture of many classrooms. Number 46 is the DJI Phantom Drones, which will soon be delivering our packages Uh, Recording our family get-togethers and helping first responders find people trapped in a disaster. The replicator helped bring 3D printing into the mainstream. It's a fixture of many American classrooms. Um, Number 44 is the Nest thermostat, which was the first smart home device to capture mass market interest following its launch in 2011. It really turned heads in 2014 when it was bought by Google for $3.2 billion. So the search engine giant turned the device into the center of its smartphone strategy with hopes of ushering in a new age of interconnected devices that will make, hopefully, our living far more connected and efficient. Fitbit comes in at number 42. I know a lot of you have probably got your Fitbit design devices and running upstairs and doing all that. Not me. Um, Fitbit uh, brought pedometers into the digital age, into the masses. The company sold more than 20 million of them last year. Oculus Rift comes in at 39. 38 is the Apple iBook, which was the first laptop to offer wireless networking The uh, products reveal was a classic example of Steve Steve Jobs' showmanship at its best. Do you remember? In 1999, the Macworld Confidence Jobs lifted the computer off its table and walked across the stage. The place went nuts, and he showed that Wi-Fi was here to stay. At 37, the Motorola DynaTAC 8000X was the first truly portable cell phone. I had one of these. When it launched in 1984, it weighed two pounds, cost $4,000. It was like a brick. You couldn't lift the bloody thing. But it really started something. Um, It was about the size of two shoeboxes. It was an enormous thing. The Palm Pilot comes in at 36. The Palm Pilot solidified handheld computing when it launched in 1996, paving the way for BlackBerry and eventually today's smartphone The Gerald Cable Box comes in at 34. Now, this is hard to believe for us today, but cable TV was already a thing in the 1950s, and the Gerald was the first commercial cable box that would inspire so many others. Wii registers the 33rd best invention of all time, and no game system's done more to illustrate the omni-generational appeal of interactive entertainment. Sony PlayStation comes in at 31 after meteoric sales, including the PlayStation 2's Guinness Record for best selling console of all time. And even Wii hasn't come close to breaking that. At 30 is the Toshiba DVD player. What the hell is a DVD player? I can hear you know half of you sitting there saying, DVD player, what the hell is that? Well, the DVD player made it possible to watch crisp digital movies off a tiny platter just 12 centimetres in diameter which is still the de facto size for mainstream optical media like Blu-ray and TVO comes in at 29 Amazon Kindle at 28 Kindle changed the way we read at 27 Polaroid camera gave us instant gratification we could take a photo and bingo there it was I think 15 seconds later And that was in 1977. It became the country's best-selling camera. Number 26 is the Commodore 64. The 8-bit, brown and Tor 1982 masterpiece ranks as the best-selling single computer in history. Apple iPad launched in 2010, and that's number 25 on the list of the top 50 gadgets of all time. If you just tuned in, we're going through the top 50 gadgets of all time. BlackBerry 6210 comes in at 23, as it was a pivotal step forward for mobile devices. The 1971 PhoneMate 400 answering machine, despite the idea of an answering machine weighing more than a few ounces might sound ludicrous by today's standards, it's the 22nd most important gadget ever. It held roughly 20 messages and enabled owners to listen to voicemails privately through an earphone. At 22, from the year 2000, relatively new, is TomTom Tom GPS. What the hell could we do without TomTom Tom GPS? Geez, I live on my GPS. You know, I'm trying to find my way around Hollywood with all those maze of back streets up in the hills. If I didn't have... If I didn't have my GPS, I couldn't find my way home. Seriously, I couldn't go out for dinner and find my way home. Bloody hell. The uh, GPS is the best invention of all time. Now, number 21 is the IBM ThinkPad 700C. Few products are so iconic that um, their design remains largely unchanged after more than 20 years. It's tracked. Trackpoint navigation device and powerful microprocessors are also considered to be groundbreaking 20 odd years ago. Number 20 is the Motorola Droid. 19 is the 1984 JVC video movie camcorder. Anybody remember one of those? A camcorder. 1984, what's that, 30 years ago? Ooh, I remember one well. Of course, that was displaced by flash memory packing flip video cameras and later smartphones, but the impact of the um, video movie camcorder will last forever. I'll now skip down to number 16 and 15 of the most important gadgets of all time. The Nintendo Game Boy is at 16. It created a paradigm shift in mobile game design that's influenced everything from competing devices Handhelds to um, Apple's iPhone, I guess. 15 is a no- Nintendo Entertainment System. That was that was unbelievable in its time. It was to video gaming what the Beatles were to rock and roll, I guess. It's um, single-handedly restructuring the market after it launched in 1983. The Atari 2600 by my friend Nolan Bushnell, who's a legend, great guy. That's at number 13. And the Canon Pocketronic Calculator is at 11. And we take some of these things so much for granted now. Who'd imagine that a Pocketronic Calculator would be one of the most important inventions of all time? Iconic adding machines, like the 1970 classic blazed trail for the smartphones that we're packing today. The magic wand. Now, this is a classic. The magic wand's at number 10, taking off, um, as you may remember, after Sex in the City revealed the electric neck massages, cultish adoption as a vibrator. So um, sex therapists and fans have extolled the wand's virtue, It's white plastic shaft and the vibrating head and uh, presumably that's where the magic comes from but it was out there, all of a sudden Sex and the City started talking about it and bingo! It was huge. Number nine is the Apple iPod, remember them? It's uh, a blockbuster device that convinced music fans to upgrade from their CD players en masse. I remember going out and looking for a um, an iPod in a certain color. I can't remember what the hell the color was now for my wife, I don't know, 20 years ago, whenever it was. And uh, these people that bought iPods went on, went on to buy MacBooks, iPhones and iPads in droves, millions of them. And uh, that helped to make Apple the most valuable technology in the world. The Kardec Brownie camera comes in at number eight. I had one of those, too. The Regency TR1 transistor radio from 1954 came in at number seven. I, I bet not many of you remember transistor radios. I remember transistor radios really well because I had one. 1954, wow. The Victrola record player at six. had one of them, too. And the IBM Model 5150, Came in at number five. So the countdown's down to number five. The Sony Walkman comes in as the fourth most important gadget of all time. It was the first music player to combine portability, simplicity, and affordability, and it was small enough to fit in your pocket. How cool was that? Sony sold 200 million of them, and that paved the way for CD players and the iPod. Number three is the Apple Macintosh which forever sets the standard for the way human beings interact with computers. The Sony Trinitron, and now this is one I never would have picked. A lot of the others are you know, pretty logical, really, when you think about it. But the Sony Trinitron comes in as the second most important gadget of all time, and that really surprised me. The Trinitron was the first TV receiver to win the vaunted Emmy Award, and over the next quarter century went on to sell well over 100 million units. Shit, that's a lot, isn't it? I've never thought about the Trinitron. And number one, of course, the number one slot in the most important gadgets of all time is the Apple iPhone. Smartphones had technically existed for years and years and years, but none came together as accessibly and as beautifully as the iPhone. The Apple device ushered in a new area of flat touch Green phones with buttons that appeared on screen as you needed them, replacing those big chunkier phones with slide-out keyboards and static buttons. Remember those slide-out keyboards? What a pain in the butt. So um, what Jobs did with the iPhone was unbelievable. And what made it remarkable was that its software and mobile app store, which it introduced later, that incredible moves forward. But more than that, it fundamentally changed our relationship to computing and information, and that's going to have repercussions for decades and decades. Now, if you're a regular listener to this program, you'll know that I was recently appointed the honorary president of the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management, which is the premier organization for business in the US, and if you're, in, if you're really serious, I really mean this, I joined about 12, 15 years ago or something, and it's been fabulous for my career. And if you're serious about improving your skill level, your status, and your network, you should join today. Go to AISMM.us and join now. Um, you know, you really should join. It's, um, it, it makes a huge difference to your career. And I, I hear people all the time saying, "Jesus, it's bloody tough out there. I don't find it tough. Work just keeps coming in. My consultancy business is great. Work just keeps coming, and I'm sure a lot of that's through contacts and things that I've made through AISMM. In a moment, Christopher Kai is a friend of mine. He's an entrepreneur. He's a best-selling author. He's an international speaker. And most importantly in my book, he's a tireless homeless youth advocate, Um, and uh, his story's great and how he met Elon Musk and a whole bunch of other Really famous people and successful people, which he uses very well for business. He helps entrepreneurs build their businesses one relationship at a time. Christopher's just published his third book, and I love the title of this, Big Game Hunting, Networking with Billionaires, Executives, and Celebrities. He is great at this. You want to go to a party with 25 people that are billionaires? Christopher's going to tell you how to do it. He's really good. He's also a member of Metal media, entertainment, technology, alpha leaders, as am I. And I'll be back with Christopher immediately after this break on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show. This is where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's interesting business people and successful business people. We talk about the services they provide – and we attempt to find out what makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business and very few people do it. Um, I was reading the other day that um, the success rate of businesses today, and this is including failures being business where you're just making a salary. So successful businesses are those that actually get out there, make a good profit and grow. So the failure rate is somewhere north of 95%, which is shows just how difficult uh, creating a business is, because most of the ideas that um, entrepreneurs come up with are good ideas, but they fall down, because unfortunately there's a hell of a lot more to being a successful business than just ideas. So we like to talk to people that um, have achieved success and uh, take on board the information they give us and hopefully it'll help all of us be a little bit more successful. Christopher Kai is a great guy, he's a member of METAL, as I am, Uh, he's an entrepreneur, he's a best-selling author, he's an international speaker, and most importantly I think these days he's a tireless worker for um, homeless youth. He helps, he helps entrepreneurs build their businesses one relationship at a time. He's worked with Fortune 500 companies like American Express, Microsoft, and New York Life, and notable nonprofits like the Milken Family Foundation. As a speaker, he's given over a thousand presentations and workshops to a global audience from more than 30 countries. Christopher's just published his third book, Big Game Hunting. I love that name, I think it's great, Networking with Billionaires, Executives and Celebrities. Hi Christopher, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show.
2: Thank you so much for having me Bob, really excited to connect with your audience and as you know we've been knowing each other for a few years now, so it's great to get in touch with you again.
1: Let's begin with something I really admire and I constantly stress to my audience, the need for all people, not only business people, to give back to the community, now you do a lot for homeless youth. Why is that so important to you? Why that particular cause? And, and what drives you to give back? Yeah, well, wow, great question. I fundamentally believe that all of us are here to serve and all of us have
2: causes to serve for. Now, in the U.S., there are 1.5 million nonprofits in the world, and ultimately, we can all do more because, it's, honestly, it's a selfish thing, too, because I love to give back and serve, and when you... Serve those, let's say in my case, the homeless youth who are literally homeless at a shelter in downtown LA, which is the worst part of town, which has sure. pimps and prostitutes and drug dealers. So for me, knowing that I can potentially save this person's life, encourage them, inspire them, it fuels everything else. So as you said, as much as I want to build my business and scale it more, but what's the end goal? You can have all the money in the world, you can have a big house and a nice wife and the car. But I've seen and met those people, and like they're not much happier than other people that don't have those things. And the fundamental difference is those that serve are truly more successful. And that's why I do it, because it just makes me feel good. I want to know I'm doing good in the world, because I know from a fact, based on all these people I've met who are billionaires and executives and celebrities, they're not more happy because they have the wealth. They're more happy if they're giving that wealth and their services and their insights to causes that are worthwhile. So... You think about life, Bob, there's only 168 hours in a week. Yep. And all of us are busy. We always say, oh, how busy we are. But if you just devote one hour a week to volunteer, that's 0.6% of your time. And there's really no excuse.
1: So what, um, what's your aim with, with homeless youth? Presumably they're homeless, homeless because they've got family life problems or they've got maybe mental health problem issues or they've got... Drug issues or some issues. What what's what's your aim? Where, where do you aim to go with with homeless youth? What's what's the goal? Well, 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 First off, I mean, you
2: know, what you mentioned is what we all assume. You know, let's say they have drug addictions and mental ill, and so that's that's a demographic, right? But yep. the vast majority have had unfortunate situations at home where their mom died or their dad died or they got went to jail. So that's the foundation they started with which is ultimately those that you see holding up a sign when they're 25 or 35 or 45, but the ones that I focus on are the teenagers. And my goal and aim really is to give them life skills and career skills so they can build their own foundation. Because when you look at a macro level, Bill Bill Gates has studied this. In impoverished countries, whether you're in an impoverished area like Giro or impoverished countries like Thailand or other places, they usually, the poor have more kids. So average People that are poor. I have like six kids, and those in more developed countries have only two. So, in the longer term, if I help one kid, I'm really helping six people or four less people in the world. And ultimately, I want to do sustainable good in my business as well as my nonprofit work. So, for me, the aim is: well, if I am a leader, I want to help those that most need it, which are these kids that are homeless. And before the youth program I started at the shelter, by the way, Bob, I. I wrote a college stuff guide, and I taught in high school for three years. So this goes beyond just me helping these kids now. This is my life goal, but my business is about networking, building strong relationships, helping entrepreneurs, because whether entrepreneurs realize it or not, they focus so much on that bottom line, where if they actually open up their minds and actually help people, you can get business from there, too. And it's, it's a multi-pronged, multi-purpose goal. Or you're doing good for your business, you're doing good for the community, and everyone looks better at you too, as opposed to just some greedy entrepreneur that wants to make more money.
1: Yeah. Well, I I really admire it. um, I'm really thrilled about the fact that the the big entrepreneurs seem to be, I mean, the guys, the big money guys now seem to be giving a hell of a lot more back to the community than probably their um, um, predecessors did, which is all good. So let's talk business. Why did you decide to write a book about networking? So you know, Bob, as an entrepreneur, it's all about what solution can you
2: provide for a problem that people have. And I kept having friends, including people at metal and colleagues, and they kept asking me, Chris, you go to all these phenomenal events. You grew up without a silver spoon. I had a very modest upbringing in New York City where my mother was a school teacher and my father was a case manager. So how do you do it? And since I want to serve, Maya Angelou, a famous American poet, once said, when you learn, teach. When you get, give. So if I'm going to all these events, building my business, making a big difference in the world, then why should I be sharing this? Just like Elon Musk, you know, he just opened up all his patents. If he wants to know that we're all in the same boat, and if we're all going to do well in our life, then we have to share and serve. And yep. so since I am an entrepreneur, you know what? I'm going to give back how I know. And so I decided to write a book about networking, and not just anywhere networking, but big gamers are really the dream of the crop. The entrepreneur is the Asset
1: individuals that five percent you mentioned it before, and it's it's been a fun ride. I think many of us look. I've had a, a lot of experience and given a lot of speeches and made millions of presentations to corporations trying to either sell them something. <laughs> um, but um, but I'm a lousy networker. You know, I go to a I go to a cocktail party and. Uh, four hours later or two hours later, I'm still with the person I met just inside the door. Um, (laughs) And it's it's a shyness. You know, people would never pick me as being shy because I can walk out in front of 10,000 people and I feel quite at home. But put me in a room with 25 people or 30 people or 50 people where I'm walking around chatting, I find it extremely Mm -hmm. difficult to network. And I know a lot of people like that. So what's the secret to... Um, being able to go from sort of person to person and chat and and make contacts. Fred recommended I talk to you and how do you how do you do that? What does that take? Yeah. Great question. I mean, you know
2: as well as I, it's actually easier to stand in front of 1,000 or 5,000 people on a stage because you almost feel like you're alone speaking to yourself because the stage is so big and the lights are on you, right? Yeah. But when you're in a room of 25 people, everyone looks at you, so you kind of see them, so there's a connection. So first is just to accept that, you know what, it isn't always easy, but if you look at the audience you're in, let's say the 25 people, just go up. I have what you call a three-second rule. Just without hesitating, you meet someone just, Give them a compliment. The most basic thing is I have an acronym called CAF, C A L F. You walk up to someone, hey, Bob, that's a great tie you're wearing. Who doesn't like a tie, right? Who doesn't like a compliment? So C is for compliment. A is for ask, whether like asking for their info over time. L is for leave, and F is for follow up. You know, if you keep it simple, like you have a system in place where you, you compliment them, and the ask is more only if you're really, really meeting someone like a billionaire, like Elon Musk, you have to be put to the point, right? Yeah. If you actually have time to make a conversation, you really want to first understand like why are you there and just listen more than you speak. Too many people I meet, especially the more amateur people the ones that are very like low, like the entry level. I've had people literally go to a networking function. They ask me what I do before they ask me my name, which is so crass and tactless and not professional. Yeah. So. My my suggestion for your audience is that you sh- we should listen more. We should all listen more and focus on two things, their interests and their relationships. So if I say, hey, Bob, who's the one person you most enjoy spending your time with? Isn't that much more compelling than what do you do? Right? Sure. So that's more short-term thinking. So I would suggest we focus more on what their interests are, what their relationships are. It takes the pressure from you in terms of what should you say. Because that's one of the common questions I get asked. Well, what do I say, Chris? focus on more what they're about their interests their talents their relationships and ask them how they can serve you know you can serve them and ideally you've done some research where i don't walk into any room unless i know who's in the room so in america at least we talk often about oh chris i gotta work the room i gotta work the room i'm like no you find the right rooms to work first before you even walk into the room you you've fully qualified you've gone on the website you research who's there See if you have a higher percent of meeting your clients there to talking about business. And as simple as, well, if you want to focus on more high, high net worth clients, well, why aren't you going to art galleries or museums where the propensity of high net worth clients at those instances are so much higher as opposed, to, as opposed to going to some random events that some friend invites you to, it's free, it's convenient. You know, so it's really first understanding if it's worth the time for you to go to the right room, and when you get there, three-second rule, don't hesitate. And lastly, just focus on their interests and just ask them, oh, how would you hear about this? Or it's a nice tie or tell me more about, you know, what your passions are. And then over time you build a rapport and figure out, okay, what do they do? Because as soon as you say what you do, it pigeonholes you and the other person. If I meet you for the first time, Bob, and you ask me, hey, what do you do? I'm a speaker and author. And if you already pigeonhole me, and many of us do this, frankly, then they're they're denying. I have thousands of people I can introduce them to, but if they're just going to say, oh, he's a speaker, I'm networking, I don't need that. You don't even know what you need if you get if you don't get a chance to meet them. So keep it over mind, listen, ask questions.
1: Yeah, I, I must admit when I meet somebody that's seriously well known or famous, I'd feel stupid saying, geez, that's a great tie. I love it. Where'd you get it? You know? <laughs> so why I, though? If, if there's I, know, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, it's just yeah, a feeling it's, it's, that I have.
2: It's all about our mindset. Yeah. It, but again, it's a feeling that you have. It's a feeling that I might have. but. Literally, when I met Elon Musk, I said, hey, Elon, great job you did at the World Affairs Council because you gave a speech there, right? He nods his head. But it's about having that sense of presence where I wasn't his boopy. I didn't go up to say, oh, my gosh, Elon, you're amazing. Because as soon as I do that, I'm not at his level. We're all at the same level as a human being in terms of value. It's just, unfortunately, we have these self-defeating thoughts like wow he's so famous he's so rich i don't care how rich or famous he is i care that he has a compassionate heart i care that i admire him and ultimately if you hold your own whether it's a billionaire or celebrity it doesn't matter because we oftentimes put them on a pedestal and that's why we stop conversation before it starts um
1: even for example and i I don't know whether um how you overcome this, but even at Metal um where there's you know so many hundreds of absolutely brilliant people, I often probably feel sort of overawed. I feel geez, what am I doing in this company? You know, the, these people are just brilliant. Um, how do you overcome? It? And and that's an impediment to to networking to some degree, isn't it? Because you you sort of feel. That um, you don't belong there. I don't feel it yeah, all you
2: know, the time. Yeah, as you know, Bob. Like, let's say the first time I met Nolan Bushnell. Nolan Bushnell is a metal guy. Yep. He founded Atari, Chuck E. Cheese, hired Steve Jobs. Right. So he yep. is literally a living legend. Yep. So when Absolutely. I first met him, yeah, you know, he, he, he's, he's a daunting figure. He's seventy-something he's years old, gray hair, beard, looks like you know Yoda, right? Yeah. But so to be honest, yeah, it was a bit intimidating at first. But as you get to know him, as all people are, you, you're going to like them or not. They, you, you're going to be friendly or not. Yeah. And if they're not friendly, I don't even bother with them. You know. So as much as Nolan Bushnell literally is a living legend who's the grandfather of the video game industry, where you would have no Facebook, MySpace, or any of these gaming things if you didn't have a Nolan Bushnell,
1: yeah. you
2: know, it, 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 but as you get to know people, as you know Bob, it's just about focusing on what's common, what's, what, what you both believe in, no one actually did come by the shelter and spoke to the kid. And so if no one can relate to a, a 12-year-old homeless kid, then any of us can relate to anyone, anywhere, it's just that we have our own self defeating thoughts, which is about how do you get rid of them, Chris? Well, just having more positive thoughts and just focusing on who they are, what, who you are, smiling a lot, and really just focusing on listening because if you focus on listening to all the people on the call, it'll move, remove all these barriers of saying, oh, what do I say? I'm nervous. We have the three-second rule, just approach them, smile, be in their conversation. And over time, when you find something that's of commonality, just stop talking about that. And it takes practice, obviously, right? So I've worked with and met hundreds, or actually probably thousands of people that are successful. And over time, you get a familiarity. So meeting someone like Nolan is no different than meeting someone like Elon Musk or no different than meeting Richard Branson because they're people. But if you're not used to that, yeah, of course it's daunting. Once you get used to that, then it becomes very commonplace. Now for those people on the call that might not get a chance to meet Elon Musk, it doesn't matter whether it's Elon Musk or someone that's the most stressed person in your hometown. You want to go to these hotels where they're like the Miss Paulson or the Beverly Hilton and you get acclimated to that feel. Get acclimated and used to that sense of environment so that you feel comfortable. Yeah. Because they can read it. They can tell and sense if you're nervous.
1: Yeah, I must admit, I, I, I feel very comfortable speaking to both Nolan and um, um, Richard Branson. <laughs> it's, it's, but I think that's probably because I've got to know them a little better. So big game networking. Um, what, what's your definition of big game networking?
2: So big gamer is a person of influence. So it's essentially anyone you want to work with, work for, or work or, or admire, right? So Fred Joe, who's actually one of my mentors who I met at Metal about four or five years ago, yeah. I said, hey, Fred, I want to scale my business. And he said, Chris, don't be shooting at rabbits if you want to hunt big game. And really the analogy is don't be focusing on these small rabbit-sized opportunities if you want to focus on bigger opportunities. So one of my bigger opportunities at the time was a client who I secured. He a $100 million and has a 73 restaurants. And I've helped him build his clientele. At first he was a mentor, now he's a client, and now he's about $200 million. And his goal is to reach a billion dollars. And so I used to work for American Express. I have that know-how and strategy. it's all about strategy, right? Yep. But the big gamer is just someone that you're stretching yourself and saying, well, if I'm a realtor, I'm focusing on a half-million-dollar home. Well, your big gamer is the person that's selling a $1 million home. If you're a writer and you want to be a published author, well, Bob, you and I would be They're big gamers because essentially it's the person you want to be like, work with, work for. Simple concept, whether in business in life, you want to find people that that you admire in your area and just start learning from them because you can read a book, you can listen to this interview, but nothing will replace to have mentors and people around you that are feeding you with that sense of knowledge and awareness on the ground, in the trenches. You You can go to school, but I don't respect school because they study people like you and I, Bob. Yeah. They take the studies of you and I in our life in the trenches, blood, sweat, and tears, and talk about how amazing they are. And I don't care if you're from Stanford or Harvard, Yale, MIT, you and I, Bob, could hold our own in any room of entrepreneurship because we're in the trenches.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's hard to convince yourself of that, but if it's, it's certainly what you need to do. Um, can, can you give us a, a client case study of, of how you've helped someone? Sure. So one client,
2: he actually had a, a digital media company. And so what I do in my coaching and my programs, which all of you can look at at chrisdiffica.com, ka com. I have a newsletter called Be Inspired where you can, you can get various articles and videos and events. but this client, essentially I connected him with a strategic introduction to a client who had about $100 million in sales. And from that one client, he had multiple different brands, and so my client was able to utilize that one client, like multiple brands, and so instead of just saying he has one client, he had multiple clients and somebody parlayed that. Now he cleared $4 million within two years from the coaching and focusing on the big gamer, focusing on that strategic introduction, and it's about that branding. And as you know, as a marketing guy, I've spoken and worked with a companies. So people who hire me, they already assume I charge a high price for my speech, which, which I do, right? Yep. The so people on the call, it's about how do you brand yourself from the impressive numbers, as you know, like the numbers of people you've spoken to or for, and the brands. What brands have you worked at? Because if you haven't worked at a brand like American Express, why should someone hire me or you, right? Sure. So the case studies, it's always goes back down to I help people make a better living based on helping them raise their aim with the clients they focus on. And as such, I sometimes introduce them to actual people. Or I actually just help them and coach them on strategizing, which is why I
1: created the program, which you can check on the website ChrisBekai.com. So, what are the? I'm always talking on the program about the need for um, everybody, doesn't matter who they are, to have mentors because um, it's you know it's extremely difficult for anybody to be able to address all the issues that arise during running a business and therefore you should surround yourself with people who are successful that can um, give you advice uh, when you need it. So networking and targeting people and learning about who they are and finding where you'll get in touch with them is a great way to locate the right mentors, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. I surround myself with mentors all the time,
2: including, again, Fred Jewel. And by mentoring, it can be you meeting once a week or once a month, or sometimes even just an email because people are busy. But make it as simple and as easy as possible. Like for me, I'm a consultant, right? So yeah. I get approached hundreds of times now. And so when they ask me, if I take you for coffee? I'm like, look, if I charge $20,000 for a speech, am I going to choose coffee or am I going to choose a speech for $20,000, right? So not to kind of be like overly boastful, but like I've worked my way up to be at a point. And so it's better that they say, Chris, I have a speaking opportunity for you. And people do that. I have a speaking opportunity for you. I'd love for you to explore that. And so one of the biggest mistakes is people don't stand out. And mentorship, as you know, is phenomenal because it's like the carpool lane of success. If you have mentors, it's like you're on the carpool lane. If you don't, you're never going to get further in life if you don't have people that are in your life helping you. And unfortunately, yeah. if some of us say, oh, I can do it myself, Chris. I'm a self-made man, or woman. No, none of us are self-made. And anyone that says they are, it's lying. It's not true. No one is ever self-made.
1: I agree. It's, uh, you always need to surround yourself with people better than you because if they're not better than you, all you're going to do is either stay put or go backwards. You'll, you can never improve unless you um, get mentors that actually are much smarter than you. Not, not a comfort. A lot of people get mentors that give them a comfort level, don't they? They're people that they, yeah. you yeah. know, that they know, that they feel comfortable with. That you know, the last thing a lot of people need is somebody who's going to say, "Look, you're doing it totally wrongly. You need to do have a total relook at this thing." And most people stay away from those people. Yeah, and so there's two people that we all know. Reid Hoffman is the co-founder of LinkedIn.
2: He said that the best way to change yourself is to surround yourself with people you want to be like. Simple as that. Yeah. And Warren Buffett said the same thing. I surround myself and associate with people that are smarter, brighter, and better than me. This is Warren Buffett. Because ultimately, if you hang out with those people, you're able to easily be higher. And the great thing about where we live now in this world Bob, is that we have the internet, we have Google. You can learn about the people, you can, you can learn from the interviews and so there's no excuse now to learn how a Warren Buffett or Richard Branson thinks because they write books about it. It's excuses we make for ourselves and going back to what you said, the harsh reality Bob is everyone on this call can do much better for themselves if they just shut up, they make excuses and learn from the people they want to learn from. Well, what do you mean, Chris? Uh, Google Bill Gates Google Tony Hsieh, Google Richard Branson, no excuses, no excuses.
1: We've talked about a couple of the mistakes that people make in networking, but what, are, what other mistakes are there that people make? Well, the most common one, Bob,
2: is that, as I mentioned before, we don't research the events we go to. So we work the room, a very common phrase, we're working hard, getting business cards, and following up about 100 contacts, as opposed to working smart which is, for instance, the Milken Conference next week, global conference, 3,500 global leaders, you'd rather go to one premium event, which I call big event, and meet 10 people there, and go to 10 random events that are free or convenient or someone tells you about. So the biggest mistake is people don't do the t- 10 times of research. by going on a website, asking someone what's out, who's going to be there. So if you're focusing on high worth clients, then if there are no high worth individuals there, why are you bothering going? Yes.
1: Yeah. literally night and day your research okay that, that makes that makes a lot of sense what other mistakes when you get to the event again it's common to hesitate right but if you wait on
2: meeting someone you're hesitating on your dreams and as soon as you stop waiting there and saying oh i want to meet him but i'm kind of afraid and then you just keep staying there for now someone else has approached him then i'll wait till that person leaves you don't want to wait if a person, like, say, you want to meet at an event, and even if they're talking to someone, as long as they don't seem like they're, like, a really close friend, you just walk up to them, and it's what I call a triangle of success. You, you literally walk up to them, you create that third triangle. They're going to look at you, and then you just smile, and just, just just smile, and just listen. It works all the time. And then lastly, follow-up. 80% of success based on research is after the 5th to the 12th call. How many of us follow up once or twice on an email, which is very passive, and don't call them? Like with, with you, for instance, Bob, you've been so gracious. You've actually followed with me a number of times, to do me, and I've been traveling, and it wasn't the right time. And now finally, like, I've probably known you for four or five years. Yep. But You're a perfect example of what you should do follow up like Bob does. Over the last few years, Bob has called me or emailed me and said, hey, every time he sees me, I'd love for you to be on my show. And it wasn't my dog blowing him off because, as Bob knows, we're always so busy and so I want to be in the right space. So Bob is a perfect example of what you should do, which is you follow up over time and, of course, we'd want more sales
1: and more interviews and more guests, but it's about patience, persistence, and following up. Yeah. So when you, when you um, are going to an event that's Relevant to what you do, you research the people that are going to be at the event, and then determine who it is that you you sort of prime target list, if you like, and then you approach them. Uh, so it's not a it's not about meeting everybody in the room and getting a hundred business cards. It's about um, getting one or two people that you develop a rapport with, that you then follow up and and nourish, right? Yeah, well it depends on your price points of products, right? So let's say before this book, my price
2: points let's say ten grand, fifty grand, hundred grand, right? So that's really you're meeting one or two clients with your more high level that grows a hundred million dollars, right? Yep. And now that my clientele, since I want to scale it, my product only costs four hundred dollars. So most people can afford that, right? So yep. I had a woman connect with me on Twitter saying that she's from Canada, visiting LA for a Oprah Winfrey super soul session. Now, I'm a fan of Oprah Free, but when she, she told me she's here for an Oprah Winfrey conference, and my clientele are 65% women over 40, and Oprah Free that's her demographic. So I bought a ticket right there and then, and when I got there, there were 1,800 people that were my demographic. So in that case, I was literally in a safari of all these clients that are women entrepreneurs that are my clients. So, right. But again, how many people would say, oh, Chris, I'm going to hesitate I don't want to pay $200. I might feel uncomfortable because I might be the only man there with all these women. But if you're an entrepreneur, there's a reason why people succeed and they don't. I pushed aside all those thoughts that said, I'm going to meet people that are potentially my clients and surprise, surprise, I followed up with one woman who's from the UK who's inviting me to speak at her conference in, in Arizona in October with 150 entrepreneurs that are female that are my clientele. Right? Invest $200, take $200,000 or $20,000. Whatever it might be, it's about... Most people don't make the investment and if you don't make the investment to do time and money, especially you will never be that millionaire multimillionaire billionaire and people that are poverty stricken. I had this guy I met at a speech a few weeks ago. I asked him point blank, do you want to be a millionaire? He says, yes, Chris. And you're not willing to spend $20, $20 on a book that I wrote. And it's not even about my book. It's about any book or any program. you will spend $200 on getting drunk on a weekend. But one about $20. So the people on this call, fess up, don't make excuses, charge it if you need to, but if Bob has a program, Bob has a book, or Chris has a book, or anyone has a book that has proven, beyond any doubt, that they've proven that they know how to do it, then
1: why are you not investing it, you know? Sure. Okay, let's, let's just talk about the book for a minute. Um, Big Game Hunting, Networking with Billionaires, Executives, and Celebrities. If you walk into my house, I've got, two bedrooms with wall-to-wall shelves um, that are absolutely full of business books. <laughs> I've got more books than Barnes & Noble. So why should I read Big Game Hunting, Networking with Billionaires, Executives and Celebrities? What makes this book different than all the other business books that I've got on my shelf? Yeah, Which I don't, incidentally, have on of, my shelf. <laughs>
2: yeah, the, That's the a hint the for you to send me a book. <laughs> I will the hint is Bob no one has written a book at this caliber at this level right. with people that network as billionaires they don't need this book and I need to write it for billionaires so the thing is we all know we need to network most people do it wrong and you show me another book that is that bold and that brass and that forward I'll give you a refund but frankly anyone on this call that signs up my newsletter be inspired at christopho.com ka I'll give you a free book. I'll send you an e-book for free. And again, most people will hear this, okay, whatever, Chris. And most people will follow up and they'll email me, even though it's giving you this knowledge for free. So the why is, no one has written a book at this caliber, at this level, because they don't need to. The people that, I don't, I don't, frankly, I don't need to write this book. And I was fine without it, but I want to help people. And so if I've learned this stuff, I should be sharing it. Just like Elon Musk didn't need to open up his patents, but he did because he needs, he wants to share so anyone in a business especially, it's the most fundamental skill set you need to learn to grow your business. But it's also the most basic thing that people don't do well. And if you're going to sell, why not sell to a millionaire or multimillionaire as opposed to making $1,000 on a, a product? Why not make $10,000 $100,000 or make a million, you know? So yeah. the why is you show me another book that's this bold network and networking and, and, and I, I'm not that unique. But I am unique because Think Magazine actually has referred me as the Billionaire Networker. If you Google <laughs> Bob, the Billionaire Networker, my art comes up. So that's why they should buy my book on Kindle and Amazon. Or if you want, I'll just email you the ebook for free. If you sign up for a newsletter at chrisavakai.com.
1: Okay. Um, last question, because we're running out of time. How did you meet and develop a relationship with Elon Musk, who's got to be the superstar in the world at the moment?
2: Yeah, and he would go down to history as one of the most inspiring people, just along so with like the Henry Fords and the Carnegie's and Rockefeller's. And it goes back to, I wrote an article, by the way, you can Google it. It's, it's uh, free networking strategies uh, to meet Elon, uh, Elon Musk. And you actually email me and I can send that to you, chris at chrisdokai.com. But he was at a short pen event at the Montage Hotel in Beverly Hills. Now, again, going back to research, you go to high-end events and you research, you go to hotels that these people are used to, and you go to areas like Beverly Hills or any place in your town, city, or country that are in those instances. And he, his, his, his wife at the time was an actress, so of right. course she wants to network with a Oliver Stone or a Sean Penn. So you go back to researching their interests and in relationships, and also with Elon Musk, he does go out, but it's related to his causes. So if you go into like a, a global conference for like electricity or e, e- car, you know cars and with space stuff, you know, he's probably comfortable with uh, Richard Branson. So you go to where these people go, because they're all friends. He's friends with, you know, Jeff Skoll. He's friends with Bill, Bill Lee, is good buddy, you know. But if you haven't done the research, going back to the first sample of a problem and a mistake, then you're not going to know where these people are. And uh, and you need their character, too. Same thing. They all go to the same thing. Art Basler, nonprofits non-profits. And Leonardo DiCaprio, by the way, as well as Justin Bieber, was also at the Sean Penn event first year, not, not two years ago, when I met Elon Musk. So the how is finding the right charity functions, finding the right locations in the hotels. That's great.
1: Christopher, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now to learn more about Christopher Kai, K-A-I, go to ChristopherKai.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to
1: the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. And uh, you should have a look around the Voice America channel. They've got all sorts of channels. They've got variety. They've got... uh, sports they've got a whole heap of talk channels it's great so you should you should naturally listen to me first but there's a whole bunch of really great people on this network um, this week we're broadcasting from our new studio in Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles where technology meets entertainment over the past 10 years but prior to the last 10 years I've worked with big companies the city banks, the Cokes, and all those sorts of people. And uh, fantastic experience. You learn a, an enormous amount. And uh, I also have spent that time working in on every continent. So I've worked with with companies everywhere. And about 10 years ago, I decided that I was going to give a bit back and work with small businesses and uh, startups and entrepreneurs to um, to develop and run successful businesses. You know, most entrepreneurs have got fantastic products, but, some of them are a bit dodgy on um, on management and marketing and uh, how to get forward. They're lacking in contacts. And so um, it's really good fun to take a startup and uh, put in a, you know, world-class board and introduce them to the heavy hitters and, and get them on their way. It's terrific. So this radio show um, and my consultancy is about um, – providing you the information and the tips that can help you be more successful. You know, entrepreneurs wear so many bloody hats, and it's tough. And that's why 99% fail, not because the products aren't any good. It's because the marketing lacks a little bit. Um, So this program's all about entrepreneurs, and we love nothing better than to salute select uh, successful entrepreneurs and I guess our goal is to show you that you don't have to be a tech genius or have a truckload of money to throw off the shackles of a nine-to-five job working for a boss, having no control over your own destiny, when you can become an entrepreneur. And we hope to encourage you to give it a go. I don't care what the what you do. Go and buy a dry cleaning shop or open an ice cream stand on the corner or develop an app if you can do that or create a new way to do brain surgery. Um just as long as you get off your ass and you give the boss a flick, you know? Jeez. Um, so we, we, we try to give you advice that'll make you more successful. I think this next story addresses many of the issues that, you know, many would be entrepreneurs face. I know that I have in the past and just might provide a little aha moment for many of you. Two years ago, Danny Margulis, was working as a freelance copywriter when he decided to start his own online business. This month, he earned over $30,000 thanks to a decision he made while helping his five-year-old son with his homework. I love these stories. Being a freelancer allowed him to make over 100 bucks an hour working from home. But whenever he heard about someone creating a passive income stream online, he'd think, Why not me? Why can't I do that? And and I know that I used to think this all the time. And I'm sure many of you've also thought that way. When I hear about all these people saying, you know, I'm making money while I'm sleeping. Well, shit, that sounds pretty cool. Um, Why can't I do it? Well, the reality is you can. So reality came crashing in as Danny painfully reminded himself that he didn't have a business degree or a background that – would substantiate it in his mind. And he wasn't wasn't tech savvy enough to build a website, set up the payment systems and all that other stuff that you need when you want to be successful. He also had nothing to sell and he didn't want to risk tens of thousands of dollars starting a business. He also thought that he'd probably have to spend a heap of time blogging. And this is time he just didn't have. Then one night, his five-year-old son was struggling with a challenging math problem and he encouraged him to persevere and figure it out at that moment he sort of he realized he'd been setting a poor example by not persisting to overcome his own hurdles and start this online business the next day he began noticing solutions where he'd previously only seen roadblocks and you think about that how often have we done that so This is what he learned, and this is where I think the lessons are for all of us. Firstly, you didn't need to go to business school. There are online courses that can teach you how to start an online business in weeks, even if you've got no experience and have no clue what to sell. So Danny enrolled in the Ramit Safety Zero to Launch program, and that's worked wonders for many, many people. And secondly, you don't need website building skills. There are a number of all-in-one website solutions, such as Rainmaker. Um, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of them um, that allow regular people like you and me to get a digital commerce website up and running in hours, without any designing, without any coding, without any of that stuff. Coming up with a product also wasn't difficult, is Danny had thought it would be. Um, So he decided to create his own online course, which he called Secrets of a Six Figure Upworker to teach people how to make money. He soon realized that we all have knowledge others are willing to pay for, and that's absolutely true. So Danny thought, why not start there? It doesn't have to be expensive. It cost Danny just 100 bucks to create his course using PowerPoint and Camtasia screen recording software, 100 bucks. His customers didn't care. They loved it because it helped them achieve their goals. And Danny found that daily blogging just isn't necessary. In fact, his whole website contains just three blogs. And his course has generated over 90000 in revenue in the f- past 12 months. He found, as we've said on this program, a multitude of times, quality is infinitely more important than quantity when it comes to blogs. So using these tools and approaches greatly simplified the process, allowing him to um, start his program, launch his online business in just a few months using only his spare time, very little cash, and basically zero technical skills. Now, this is the great part. For the first three months, sales trickled into the tune of about 1400 a month. But as he ramped up his promotional efforts, it heated up. He began with some guest blogging, brought in lots of new visitors to his website, which he calls Freelance to Win. He also started offering his top five hacks for making money on Upwork, free of charge to anybody who subscribed to his mailing list. More than 6,500 people turned up. And signed on, and many of them became customers of his course. Some wanted a side income through freelancing, while others eventually transitioning to f- full time. So one year later, monthly sales had tripled. At that point, he made the difficult decision to leave to leave freelance to win, which was his full time job, and. As those of you who have made this leap, it's, it's a very difficult decision to decide to, to plunge off. Three months later, it was clear he'd made the right choice with sales totaling over 8000 for the month. A month later, revenue um, hit $10,000. 2 months later, sales had skyrocketed to over $30,000 for the month. That's nearly half a million a year today. He's not only earning a great living while spending plenty of time with his wife and kids... He's also helping thousands of people learn how to make money freelancing at the same time. So for anybody interested in starting their own business, my advice is to forget about all the reasons not to do it. You know, there's a million reasons not to do anything. If you went into a bar and thought of all the reasons why you shouldn't go and approach the woman sitting at the bar, you'd never get any action. So forget about it. Forget about the reasons that Not to go for it. We all have knowledge that's valuable to others and sharing is a great way to make money. And with technology and information so readily available, it's never been easier. So I hope you've enjoyed the show. We've been bringing you this show now since 2011. That's quite a while. And if you're benefiting from the advice that we give you each week, tell your friends to listen. Go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. In the meanwhile, remember, if you're not really pushing the envelope... If you're not living on the edge, if you're not going out there and doing stuff that other people won't do, you're just taking up too much space. You're just breathing in somebody else's air. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard. I look forward to your company again next week Well, I'll be again broadcasting from our studio
0: on Hollywood Boulevard where technology meets entertainment. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.